Today's topic is Bible prophecies about Jesus that were written long before he lived. This is part one of a two-part mini-series. Before we look at these prophecies, I want to emphasize that there is only one person who has ever lived who has had precise details written about his birth, his life, his death, burial, and resurrection before he was born. And that one person is Jesus Christ. There is no other religious leader uh, in the history of this world that can claim such prophecies were made about him, including Gandhi, Muhammad, Confucius, or Buddha. The Quran has no such prophecies. No such prophecies exist about famous people in the world, like Oprah Winfrey or Mick Jagger, the famous uh, rock and roll star, Bill Clinton, Barack Obama, or Donald Trump. The only book that contains such prophecies is the Holy Bible. And the only person that has ever lived that can claim such prophecies, again, it's, it's Jesus Christ. And I think that's pretty amazing. Don't you think so? I realize that today there is a lot of skepticism about the Bible and about the Christian faith. In fact, there are growing numbers of people today who don't believe that God exists at all. There are millions of people who are absolutely convinced that we all exist by pure chance or impure chance, and that this whole universe started with some sort of mindless cosmic big bang. Today, atheism is on the move. It is growing. Church attendance is down, especially in North America, Australia, and Europe. Unbelief in the Bible is widespread. But I'm here to tell you that atheism is really doomed to failure because the evidence is overwhelming when you really look carefully and objectively at it. Not only that God does, in fact, exist, but that the Bible is his inspired book. And one of the strongest proofs of the validity and the divine inspiration of the Bible is the existence of ancient prophecies about Jesus Christ that were written hundreds of years before he was born in Bethlehem. We'll start out with 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 19 to 21. This is in the New Testament. And this is what the Bible says, quote, We have also a more sure word of prophecy, which you do well to heed, as to a light that shines in a dark place, until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing this first, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation, for prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. These verses say that Bible prophecy is sure. It's more sure than even the ground that we walk on, which I imagine you've noticed these days isn't really that sure at all. Personally, I grew up in Southern California in the Los Angeles area, and that whole area is notoriously prone to earthquakes. Recently, a large quake rocked the state of Alaska. It was a big quake five miles north of Anchorage. And so at the same time that atheism is increasing, so are earthquakes increasing, along with storms, fires, and floods. 
And in all of these disasters, I'm convinced that God himself is speaking to us, just like in the days before Noah's flood. By his Holy Spirit, God again is appealing to each one of us to flee to him for refuge from the coming storm. Again, going back to 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 19, the Bible says that God's prophecies are sure. And he also says that we do well if we listen to them. The Bible says that they are a light shining in a dark place. They point us to Jesus. Peter also said that these prophecies, quote, never came by the will of man, but they came from holy men of God who spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. So if you are a person that is struggling with doubts and uh, skeptical theories that have popped into your brain, if uh, fashionable atheism has made a move on you, I hope that you will listen carefully as we go through these prophecies about Jesus. I'm convinced that they will give you hope and they will give you a sense of rock-solid certainty that will guide you in the days ahead. Prophecy 1 is in the first book of the Bible. It's in the book of Genesis, chapter 3, verse 15. This verse was spoken by God himself directly to a fallen angel named Lucifer after he tempted Adam and Eve to sin with subtle, skeptical, atheistic reasoning through the lips of a snake, causing them to doubt the word of God. This is what the Bible says. God said, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Let's unpack this verse. The word enmity means hostility. God said that he would put hostility between the serpent who represented the devil and the woman who was Eve. And then he said, and between your seed, your seed refers to Satan's followers down throughout history, and the seed of the woman, representing God's followers throughout history. The term seed that God used also refers to someone who would come in the future. We know this because the next part of the text says, he shall bruise your head. Thus the word seed is personified into a he. Again, it says, he shall bruise your head, and you, referring to Satan, shall bruise his heel. So here's the first prophecy in the Bible, which predicted that somebody would come, that Satan would hurt that somebody, but not permanently. He would only bruise his heel, and that heel would come down on Satan's head and ultimately crush his skull. This is the very first prophecy in the Bible about an ongoing struggle between Satan and Jesus, between Satan's followers and the followers of Jesus Christ. And that battle has been going on throughout history, and it is raging today. It's between those who believe and those who don't, between the skeptics and those who have faith in the Word of God. Our second prophecy about Jesus was given about 2,600 years later by a man named Balaam. It's recorded in the book of Numbers, which is the fourth book of the Bible, in chapter 24, in verses 15 to 17. 
when you read the context, it's amazing to discover that Balaam uh, didn't really want to give this prophecy, for he at that moment was one of Satan's followers. But God is in full control of his world. And in that situation, God took over Balaam and he took over his mouth and he spoke through him anyway. And let me read it. Numbers chapter 24, verses 15 to 17. This is what Balaam said. The utterance of Balaam, the son of Beor, the utterance of the man whose eyes are opened, the utterance of him who hears the words of God and has the knowledge of the Most High, who sees the vision of the Almighty, who falls down with his eyes wide open. I shall see him, but not now. I shall behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. So here is a prophecy about Jesus. Jesus is called a star that shall come out of Jacob, which tells us that Jesus would someday, from this point on forward, that Jesus would someday be born in the line of Jacob's descendants. In Genesis chapter 32, verse 28, Jacob's name was changed to Israel. So Jesus is predicted to be an Israelite. God called Jesus a star as he spoke through the lips of Balaam. Stars shine brightly in a dark sky. And Jesus is the brightest human being of all. Balaam also said, quote, a scepter shall rise out of Israel. A scepter is a staff carried by kings. It denotes kingly authority and rulership. Thus, Jesus is the king of heaven. But he was to stoop down from his throne. He was predicted to be born into humanity into the line of Israel. So that's two prophecies. The third prophecy I, I want to look at is in the book of Deuteronomy, which is the fifth book of the Bible. It's in chapter 18, verse 18. Surrounded by Israelites, God told Moses, quote, I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brethren and will put my words in his mouth and he shall speak to them all that I command him. And it shall be that whoever will not hear my words, which he speaks in my name, I will require it of him. So in Genesis 3.15, which was the first prophecy we read, someone would come who would crush Satan's head. In Numbers 24, verses 15 to 17, Balaam said that somebody would come through the line of Jacob or Israel he would be a shining star and he would have kingly power. Then in Deuteronomy 18, 18, which is the verse that uh, we just read, that same someone would be called a prophet who would be like Moses. Moses led Israel. God spoke to Moses face to face. Moses spoke for God and he spoke the word of God. And it would be similar with Jesus when Jesus finally came uh, hundreds of years later God would put his own words in Jesus Christ's mouth. Moses said that we are to listen to the words of that prophet. And then he warned that if we don't listen, God will hold us accountable for our unbelief. And eventually we will pay an awful price. 
Now, here's one more prophecy about Jesus I want to look at today, which is found in the book of Micah, chapter 5, verse 2. Micah was an Israelite prophet of God who lived about 700 years before Jesus was born. The Holy Spirit rested upon him, and under inspiration, this is what he wrote. Quote, Micah said, But you, Bethlehem Ephrata, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth are from of old, from everlasting. This is such a powerful prophecy, and this is one of my favorite verses in the Old Testament predicting the coming of Jesus. It's probably the clearest, or at least one of the clearest prophecies in the Bible. In this verse, the little town of Bethlehem is clearly pinpointed. Now, Bethlehem is not some fictitious town. It's not imaginary. Uh, we don't have to wonder whether it ever existed or not. We're, talking, we're not talking about some kind of uh, mythology. But Bethlehem is a very real town, and it's there today. It's a small town in Judea, just south of Jerusalem. I had the privilege in the year 1983 of going to Israel for for 10 days. I took a tour with a whole group of pastors. We went to many different uh, sites that are described in the Bible, and one of them was Bethlehem, the place where Jesus was born. And in Micah chapter 5, verse 2, the prophet said that out of that little town would come, quote, one to be ruler in Israel, end of quote. Now, notice carefully, Micah also said that his goings forth are from old, from everlasting. In other words, although Jesus would be born through his earthly mother, whose name was Mary, as a baby in Bethlehem, and though he would be uh, surrounded by the animals in that stable where he finally probably cried his first little cry, Jesus didn't originate in Bethlehem. According to the prophet, he is an everlasting being. There's a famous Christmas carol that I imagine you, you know, you, you'll recognize the words. It's called, O Little Town of Bethlehem. It was written by a man named Phillips Brooks in 1868. And these are the lyrics of that famous song. O Little Town of Bethlehem. How still we see thee lie, above thy deep and dreamless sleep, the silent stars go by. Yet in thy dark streets shineth the everlasting light. The hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee tonight. For Christ is born of Mary and gathered all above, while mortals sleep, the angels keep their watch of wondering love. O morning stars together proclaim the holy birth and praises sing to God the King and peace to men on earth. How silently, how silently the wondrous gift is given. 
so God imparts to human hearts the blessings of his heaven. No ear may hear his coming, but in this world of sin, where meek souls will receive him still, the dear Christ enters in. Next, I'll read the lyrics of another famous Christmas song called, O Holy Night. The words go, O Holy Night, the stars are brightly shining. It is the night of our dear Savior's birth. Long lay the world in sin and error pining, till he appeared and the soul felt its worth. A thrill of hope, the weary world rejoices, for yonder breaks a new glorious morn. Fall on your knees, O hear the angel voices, O night divine, O night when Christ was born. O night divine, O night, O night divine. Next, I'm going to read the fulfillment of Micah chapter 5, verse 2 in the book of Matthew, which is the first book of the New Testament in chapter 2, verses 1 to 6. The New Testament says, quote, Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, Behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and the scribes of the people together, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. So they said to him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Thus we see that a prophecy in Micah 5.2 was perfectly fulfilled 700 years later in the birth of Jesus Christ. And so we find this pattern, a biblical pattern of an Old Testament prophecy followed by a New Testament fulfillment, which took place inside of a real historical town named Bethlehem that still exists today. And this, this pattern is completely unique to the pages of God's book. You won't find it inside the books of any other religion except the religion of the Bible. How was it that Jesus was born in Bethlehem anyway? Bethlehem was not his mother Mary's hometown. The circumstances are described in the book of Luke, chapter 2. I'll read this for you. Quote, it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This census first took place while Quirinius was governing Syria. So all went to be registered, everyone to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee, out of the city of Nazareth, into Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and the lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was heavy with child. And so it came to pass 
that while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. Here we see that God mysteriously worked through Caesar Augustus, who was the supreme ruler of the Roman Empire, to bring a woman named Mary to Bethlehem. Augustus decided that it was time to raise some money for the Roman government's expenses. So he issued a decree, a universal decree, requiring every Roman citizen to return to the place of their birth and to be registered so that they could then be taxed. Now Joseph, Mary's husband, could trace his lineage back to Bethlehem. And Mary was expecting a baby, but she lived in Nazareth. So to meet the demands of Caesar, and in order to fulfill the ancient biblical prophecy, both Joseph and Mary had to take the long trip from Nazareth to Bethlehem. And when they were there, Mary finally had her baby. And again, that was in fulfillment of Micah 5.2 that had been predicted 700 years in advance. Now, there's, there's one little detail in this story that shouldn't be overlooked. Luke also wrote that, quote, so it was that while they were there in Bethlehem, the days were completed for her to be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger. And here's the reason, because there was no room for them in the inn. I'm sure Bethlehem was very crowded that night. The little town was packed because of all the visitors that had journeyed there to register as part of Caesar's census. All the hotels and the inns were full. And yet one night, standing outside one of those inns was a humble man named Joseph, his humble wife named Mary, and inside of Mary's body, Nobody outside of the two of them really understood that inside of her body was nestled in a safe place, the predicted one who had been prophesied about in the book of Genesis, that someone would come to crush the head of the serpent that was prophesied in the book of Numbers, that someone would come through the line of Israel who would be like a star and who would have a scepter and who would become the ruler. Someone would come predicted by Moses in the book of Deuteronomy that someone would be called a prophet who would be like Moses that would have God's words in his mouth that would speak the word of the Lord that people must listen to or else they would face the consequences. Who knew that inside of Mary's body was that baby that Micah 5.2 predicted that his goings forth would be from of old, from everlasting, from the days of eternity. No one knew. The innkeeper certainly didn't know. A lot of people today don't know. And the reason why Joseph and Mary were not allowed to go inside of that inn was because there was no room 
for them inside. You know, I can't help but read the story and think about my life and appeal to you to think about your life. How about you? How about me? Is there room in our hearts for Jesus today? Or is there too much of the world, too much of its materialism, too much of its philosophy and atheistic skepticism? If so, I urge you to, to wake up, to realize that the Bible is a unique book, that Jesus Christ is unlike any other human being that's ever lived. There's no other person that can ever claim to have prophecies written about their life hundreds of years in advance and to have those prophecies fulfilled exactly. That is what the Bible teaches. So I urge you, don't let Satan rob you of the blessing of God. Make no mistake about it. Jesus Christ is definitely real. Like no one else who has ever lived, he fulfilled ancient prophecies that predicted details about his birthplace and gave precise information about his life, his death, his burial, and his resurrection, which we will look more at in part two of this two-part mini-series called Prophecies About Jesus. Until then, it is my hope and my prayer that we all will be numbered among those that so many of us sing about. Every year when we sing songs like, O little town of Bethlehem, how still we see thee lie, which speaks of meek souls who receive him still, in whose heart the dear Christ enters in. It was about 40 years ago that I made the big decision to open my heart and to let Jesus come into my life. And I've never been the same since. So I don't just believe the Bible because of prophecy, ancient prophecies in the Old Testament that have been fulfilled in the New Testament in the life of Jesus. But I also believe because I made a choice and I asked him to come in and I have experienced his power. I've experienced his love. I've experienced his goodness. And in the midst of a, of a world that's just crazy with all these uh, disasters like fires, floods, and earthquakes, all the moral confusion, the political confusion, the social confusion, I've chosen to believe in Jesus, to believe in the Bible, to believe in God's word. And it's given me a sure word of prophecy to hold on to, and I have a hope for the future. And I hope that you will do the same thing and choose Jesus It'll be the wisest choice that you ever make. We hope you enjoyed today's broadcast with Steve Wolberg. We feel privileged to be a part of God's commission to share the gospel message with the world. You too can be a part of our gospel outreach team by supporting broadcasts just like these with your financial gifts. We strive to be careful with every dollar that we receive, knowing these donations are sacred gifts to build up God's kingdom of grace and salvation. To find other great resources or to donate online, go to whitehorsemedia.com or you can call us at 1-800-78-BIBLE. That's 1-800-782-4253. You can follow us on Twitter at Whitehorse7 or on Facebook at facebook.com 
forward slash Steve Wolberg. That's Steve, W-O-H-L-B-E-R-G. If you prefer to contact us by mail, write to Whitehorse Media, P.O. Box 130, Priest River, Idaho, 83856. Thanks for your support and may God richly bless your day.